0: our lips, O oh God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. I pray so that they may be one, even as we are one. That's something that we could probably contemplate for the next hour, two hours, really the rest of our lives, what Jesus is saying here. That they may be one as, O oh God, you and I are one, this God that Jesus talks about this God who Jesus just before has said, I am returning to you to that glory I had before the world existed. This, this life of the Trinity, this interconnectedness, this union, this, this again at some point beyond adjectives of the inner life of God, the heart and soul, the being of God and Jesus is saying, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. And this isn't some kind of uh, pernicious prayer. Maybe if they kind of get it right, maybe, you know, if they really just get all the tumblers in line, maybe just by chance, maybe they'll be like us, and then we can feel guilty the rest of our lives because we aren't. This is Jesus saying descriptively, not prescriptively, that they may be one as we are one. That's who we are. It's about our DNA. It's not about something we strive for or yearn for. It's about who we are, how we are wired, from whom we have been created. As I've said a number of times, I love that science is catching up to the church for a change and understanding the interconnectedness of all life, of all matter, of all particles, of everything. And and it's not a coincidence when we hear this language of John that you've just heard that many folks call it the cosmic gospel, a gospel that's probably at least about 30 years or so after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, another generation of reflection. And remembering that when John, the evangelist, is talking, it's not just about a biography. It's saying, this is how we experience Jesus, and this is how the church has been experiencing Jesus. That you really could call the gospel of John a catechism or a curriculum, a Eucharistic primer, because it's going from kind of the language that you hear in the first three and chronologies and all that, they're just out the window. It's saying, this is what we are experiencing. We, the generation who has finally given up any notion that Jesus is returning right away. And who are we? And the evangelist consciously has Jesus praying, not just for the followers of Jesus to hear or the people at the time of the evangelist, but for us to hear those who follow, that they may be one as we are one. We, those who have the same inner life, the same DNA as the Holy One. It's kind of like I have brown eyes, and I could pretend that I have blue eyes or hazel eyes, but my DNA is brown eyes. Being one isn't something that we kind of strive for again. It just is. It's who we are. And that's what's being affirmed in this passage. And this notion of being one as God is one, as I said, how many adjectives like glorious, gorgeous, unfathomable? I mean, perhaps we really should practice like our our Jewish sisters and brothers and just stop saying the name of God. You know, as Paul said, who can comprehend the height and depth and breadth of God? Let's not even use words because that in itself limits and that concept is who we are who can comprehend the heights and depths and breadths of us who are one as God is one and so as I contemplate this at least one of the words that I used would, would be glorious and that our oneness with God is glorious that is till it isn't now, what do I mean by that? Well, a story to talk about that. In the summer of 2000, I was heading to Denver, Colorado for our general convention for the Episcopal Church's every three year gathering, where lay people, deacons, priests, bishops gather for fellowship, for prayer, to contemplate what we're hearing from Jesus in the Spirit about how we're to be in the world. And I was going to represent this diocese with about eight others. and. And and I will confess right here, I am an unapologetic Episcopal Church geek. You know, I'd be one of those people if they sold it. Well, they do sell them. I actually don't buy them, but you know, they would show up with the you know the hat and the jacket and the little banner, walking around, you know, like the tourist and all that stuff. Um, But I'm not an Episcopal Church geek just because it's the church I grew up in, or because my tribe is better than others. I'm a church geek, Episcopal church geek, because of what it is and what it lives like and what it has lived like for me. Growing up in Chicago where, you know, incense, you don't even ask to use incense. Well, (laughs) you mean you don't? You know, and bells and icons and the richness and fullness. And in, in an early upbringing where I was marinated in mystery marinated in that god again who 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 can we comprehend and then i moved to the south and and i really didn't intend this to happen but i found myself at this evangelistic meeting where i was praying to receive jesus into my heart i mean episcopalians don't do that do we i mean we're just so much more sophisticated than doing that kind of stuff and so uh, somewhere i went to my episcopal rector and kind of sheepishly said um I know better. I'm I'm this kid who grew up in the mystery of the Anglican tradition, but I prayed this prayer. Which one is it? And he just smiled, and you know what he said? He said, yes. He said, they're both true. And your task is to take and pray through and glean what are the riches of all those traditions and experiences. What are the truths? And to, to wean out what isn't helpful, but to let that all speak to each other. And then some years later, when some of us were dabbling in Pentecostalism, I went even more sheepishly back to him, said this Holy Spirit business, and he said, yes, pray through it, listen to it, what is its truth, how is it connected to all that other stuff you've lived through and experienced, and on and on, whatever chapter, whatever phase of life, whether it was the brightness of Easter morning or the dark night of the soul, this tradition on its best days is able to say yes and it's all connected. And that's why I'm an Episcopal church geek. So now I'm heading to the general convention to be with all my fellow geeks who are crazy enough to take 10 days of their summer to go be with each other and talk about legislation and all kinds of stuff. And I'm getting there and you've heard me talk about the exhibit hall before with 200 booths of icon hawkers and church shirt makers, and and every cause, and every issue facing us as human beings, and all the people who agree and disagree, and and that year, one of the most significant issues that we were facing that summer, two groups who were diametrically opposed to each other of the 200 booths just coincidentally happened to be right next to each other. Sure, it was a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, right. And for 10 days, we got to watch them be next to each other. And so that first morning of the actual convention, I go, and the first day, every day, we start with Bible study, where randomly you're selected, and you and eight others, or you and seven others, are at table doing Lectio, reflecting on questions about a text. And I sit down, and I'm, you know, there with my proverbial hat and jacket and banner, and I look across the table, and there's someone from a diocese who, let's just say, I didn't agree with. That's a nice way of putting it. Um... And it didn't take long for me to realize that they were feeling the same about me. <laughs> and as we went through those days of Bible study, too often I would find myself thinking, you believe what? Now I was a polite Episcopalian and go, well, that's interesting. Say more. Trying to be sincere. And really, I could tell that this person was feeling the same, like you think that Jesus would actually mean that? And it was not easy. But I finally realized that really, uh, being Episcopalians, you know, we we try to be one. And I realized that there was something that we had deep agreement on. Each of us thought the other was the Antichrist. Well, maybe not the actual Antichrist, but at least the spawn thereof. (laughs) And if we were just gone, the church would be so much better. Yeah, we did agree on that one. And then there was the day of the week that they decided instead of having Eucharist at a different time of day, we would do it in table groups. And I will confess my adolescence to you, what I started doing on a few mornings was, so that I didn't have to decide who I would be sitting next, I made sure I got extra early to the table so I would be the first one sitting there. Then everybody else, I know, I really wish I were more mature. But this day I got there late, and of course the only seat available was right next to this person. And as the elements were being passed around and the bread and wine, I had to take them from this person and I could hear the Spirit saying, so Todd, you're going to take the effective body of Christ from this person. I mean, don't you hate it when Jesus does that stuff? (laughs) Don't you just like, really? (laughs) But they may be one as we are one. Oh, and I didn't mention that, yeah, the text that day was actually this text that they may be one as we are one. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, they may be one as we are one. This is who you are. This is what you live. This is how you live. Be present to one another as you are one. And there really isn't anything romantic about that. Because in fact, the differences we had We're about our understandings of human beings and who we are and how we relate to the world. And those things have consequences and they're significant and they are not unimportant. And truly, if we were just going to sit at that table, he and I, and just say, well, you know, after all, heck, let's just all get along and let's forget those differences, it really would have been a diminishment of each other's integrity and dignity We would have been diminishing our own dignity to pretend that we didn't have these convictions and we would have been denying each other's dignity. This isn't romantic. Be one. And so what does that mean? Be one as God is one. As Becky, my wife, and I were talking about this passage this week, she at one point said, you know, this salvation stuff would be a lot easier if we didn't have texts like this. Yeah, amen. Maybe one. And we also know, on the one hand, our time of history is really no different than any other time save for just instant communication. And if the world ever needed anything, it was the capacity of us as a species to understand we are one, not we need to be one, but we are one. And it's not, oops, Siri's trying to tell me what I need to believe. Quick side note, I was with a group of people and we were struggling with something recently and I was telling them, uh, I was saying, I I just don't know what to do with this. And there was one of those Watson or whatever those things are in the room, and it piped back and said, I don't know how to help you with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the cosmos. Okay, I know. uh, Anyway. But if the world did need anything, it's, it's people who are living understanding they are one. And now how do we do that? And so we're here at this period where also in about a week we're going to be celebrating the Feast of Pentecost where we realize again this isn't just that they may be one, this Episcopal group or the Christian group. Because on Pentecost what they're going to find out is these people who are Elamites and Persians and Medes and, you know, Persians are just another word for Iranians. All these people are saying, we don't even need to hear you speaking in your language because in our language, and and actually what it's saying is, in our context we are understanding who God is. And what the disciples or followers of Jesus are realizing is, oh my gosh, this is beyond us. We are one, aren't we? The Spirit has blown us to a whole nother level. And we're right smack dab between Ascension Day and Pentecost where the church says, for 10 days, do what Jesus told you. Sit and pray and think about what life is between Jesus and the Spirit and who you are and what you are. And it's not a coincidence that in this space of 10 days, the church gives us this passage. You are one as God is one. I pray that they may be one as we are one. This is who we are. So how do we live that? And what does it take to live as we are?